0: are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Deep Cover, which came out in 1992, and was directed by Bill Duke. Yeah, I felt nice. Acclaimed for his role in Boys in the Hood, Larry Fishburne is Officer Russell Stevens. I knew you'd call. There's a thin line between catching a criminal and becoming one. Deep Cover. Directed by Bill Duke. It stars Larry Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum, Victoria Dillard, Charles Martin Smith, Gregory Sierra, Glenn Thurman, and Clarence Williams III. The genre would be crime drama. This movie just turned 30 and was directed by one of my favorite character actors, who also happens to be a director. Bill Duke. Duke, along with writer Michael Tolkien, have taken what on paper seems like a pretty standard crime drama trope, the undercover cop who gets in too deep, and have truly elevated it thanks to stylish direction, clever dialogue, and a couple of great performances. It's led by Fishburne at his early 90s peak, just when he was transforming from Larry into Lawrence. It's really one of his best performances. Even his voiceover narration works as it effectively gives off a noirish vibe to what we see on screen. Yes, my game was strong and my money was long. I really made this business pay. Everything was going exactly the way it was supposed to. Carver was thrilled at my rapid ascent as a dealer. I was telling David what to do instead of him telling me. And then it all started to go wrong. And he's not alone. We've got the Goldbloom. Years before he would drift into self-parody, playing a coked-up Jewish attorney immersing himself in the drug trade, Goldblum just devours the screen while rarely going over the top. He's both funny, irritating, menacing, freaked, often all within the same line of dialogue. There's a pretty funny exchange between Fishburne and him early on. Goblum's bragging about his sexual exploits, Fishburne brings his mother into it, and then Goblum responds, oh yeah, did she get buck wild? It's barely audible, but it really lands because of how Goldblum treats it as just a pure throwaway. Oh, wait, come on. Back. Same time, same station. Oh, i letting you go. I, I will go down. Hey, uh, so no, 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 no. David, we gotta go, oh God, man. God, I like ball and black chicks so much. I don't know, maybe you feel like you're fucking a slave. What do you mean, like a bondage thing? No, like a racist hey, thing. Hey, hey, what's the most intense sex thing you ever did? You ever uh, been with two women at the same time? Yeah, your mother and your father. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Did, did my mama get buck wild on you? fuck. The rest of the cast is strong, especially Charles Martin Smith, who is shockingly good as a duplicitous heel, mainly Russell's DEA boss. Now, I've only known Smith from his previous roles in movies like Starman or The Untouchables, when he always plays the nebbishy, all-around good guy to good effect. But in this movie, he's actually convincingly sinister. John, have you ever seen a crack baby? Newborn crack baby? Six hours old, screaming its heart out because it's going through withdrawal. You know, over the course of the next year, it doesn't learn to crawl or walk or talk on time. It's got deformities. Physical deformities, mental deformities. It's got brain damage, lowered IQ, dyslexia, God only knows what else. Maybe it goes to school, but it can't learn. And it's violent, so it gets in trouble with the law. Victoria Dillard is also compelling as a local art dealer slash money launderer who Russell becomes involved with. They build a convincingly confused relationship together with some good banter, although their love scene is pretty ridiculous. And that was par for the course in the 80s and the 90s. With help from DP Bojan Bazelli, Duke gives everything a very early 90s neo-noir sheen with generous sprinklings of sleaze. Duke has actually had a lengthier career as a director than I realized, and it's a shame that he didn't go much further into feature films. He had a pretty solid early 90s run, which included this, A Rage in Harlem, and Hoodlum. Re-watching this movie now decades later, I'm still not quite sure that I buy the ending. It might very well actually be the weakest part of the movie, though thematically, it lines up with some unexpected turns that the story takes before that. It just feels like an instance where they just kind of wrote themselves into a corner, and there was clearly an effort to avoid falling into the same rise and fall structure of other films like this around the same time like New Jack City or Scarface. Still, overall, Deep Cover is a highly watchable morality tale, which holds up pretty well 30 years later. That brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. The soundtrack for Deep Cover certainly has some early 90s bangers from various hip-hop and R&B artists from that time, including Shaba Ranks, Dr. Dre, it actually features the actual studio debut of Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Snoop Dogg. Remember when he used to be a hip hop artist? It was a long time ago. with me as I crawl through the hood. Maniac, lunatic, calling Snoop Eastwood, My personal highlight is actually from Chicago's own R and B hip hop singer Jewel Caples who was then known as Jewel. And this is Jewel with two L's, mind you, to differentiate her from the other Jewel at that time, the popular folk singer. Miss Caples made quite a name for herself throughout the 90s after she was signed to Death Row Records, often collaborating with various artists on that label. You would hear her vocals on various tracks from Snoop, Dre, Tupac, and Bone thugs in harmony She was even referred to as the First Lady of Death Row Records. The track she performs on for this soundtrack actually has her listed as the primary artist, And it was, of course, produced by Dr. Dre. It's called Love or Lust, and it's pretty sweet, even though it mainly plays over some pretty disturbing imagery over the opening credits of this movie. We see slow-motion imagery of two men sharing a crack pipe with bright red text showing the credits. Needless to say, the song takes on a more sinister tone playing over this imagery, which is also helped by the New Jack swing-type beat that we hear playing throughout the song. It definitely does an effective job of setting the tone for the rest of the movie. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the or moment that best describes this movie. There's a sequence about halfway through deep cover when Russell has to murder someone for the first time, ever. You see his build-up to that moment, the act itself, and the character's reaction afterwards. It all takes place in a club where we watch him follow this rival dealer from the dance floor into a bathroom. He walks in so slowly behind this guy, it's a wonder that he doesn't get killed himself. But no matter, because this guy named Ivy, played by James T. Morris, is clearly not intimidated. For one, he's a big dude. And as he turns around from the urinal and starts mocking Russell, also defiantly pissing on his shoe, we just know from the expression on Fishburne's face that he is quite terrified with what he's going to have to do. And he does it. He shoots him a couple of times in the chest. It's just an ugly scene which very effectively de-glamorizes the whole act of killing, contrary to how it was often portrayed in gangster Rap and or Mob movies around the same time. This whole sequence comes off as a standalone one-act drama. With no dialogue, Fishburne says everything he needs to with just his eyes. I had killed a man. A man who looked like me, whose mother and father looked like my mother and father. And nothing happened. The police didn't come after me. No one did. I could have killed others if I wanted to and gotten away with it. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. The late, great Clarence Williams III plays Taft, a local narcotics cop who constantly shadows Russell and his drug-dealing exploits, completely unaware that Russell is an undercover cop. Taft ends up being the most vocal, moral conscience of this film, as we see their relationship develop throughout the movie as they have various run-ins. Williams was a veteran character actor who started in the late 60s on the TV show The Mod Squad, and he had many a notable role and performance until he passed away last year. His presence is certainly a benefit to this movie. May I ask you something. Got kids? Are well, these are my African-American beautiful babies. If somebody put a gun to your baby's head, would you try and kill them if you could, huh? Me too. And by selling that stuff, you're putting a gun to my baby's head. Let me warn you, I'm like a mad dog after bone. However, this time-tested trope of the one man running commentary, kind of being the angel on his shoulder, it starts to wear thin in the third act. And thanks to the otherwise very sharp screenplay by Michael Tolkien and Henry Bean, Clarence Williams' character becomes so single-minded towards the conclusion of this movie that it becomes ridiculous. He ceases to come off as a gritty, realistic portrayal of a good cop, often falling one step behind, and he starts to feel more like a very on-the-nose plot point. Taft just makes some ridiculous decisions towards the end of this movie, which seem more geared towards serving the message of the movie than his character. And that brings me to the final category, and that would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. For all of the reasons and examples cited previously, Fishburne is the MVP. He's in literally every scene of this movie, and he just creates a truly relatable three-dimensional character who is constantly at war with himself. As he is told early on in the film, undercover, all of your faults become virtues. And we basically see that play out over the next 100 minutes. Almost every instinct he has to work his way up the ladder of the drug trade proves to be spot on, but he eventually gets so far up that chain that he becomes perceived as a threat to the very government he was hired by. You tell me what the fuck is going on! It's not me! It's the State Department! Shit! Ah! You remember the uncle? Remember the uncle Hector Guzman? Well, things have changed. We like him now. We want him to run for president down there someday. Ah! Jerry? Jerry? I sold drugs. I watched people die and I didn't do nothing. I killed people. You lied to me! They lied to me, John! John, I'm sorry, huh? It's all shit, you know? It's all bullshit. You know that. I know that. fuck am I going to do now? You know what, this whole fucking time, I'm a cop pretending to be a drug dealer. I ain't nothing but a drug dealer pretending to be a cop. It's wrenching to watch this play out. And even though Deep Cover did receive some acclaim upon release, it underperformed at the box office, and it eventually became more well-known for its high-charting soundtrack. And unfortunately, 1992 would be the second year in a row that Fishburne would be unfairly denied an Oscar nomination for giving an exemplary performance. The previous year, he was surprisingly not nominated for Boys in the Hood. Previous episode, by the way. Check it out. Fishburne would end up being nominated the following year, in 1993, for Best Actor, for his searing portrayal of Ike Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. And don't get me wrong, he is fantastic in that movie. But as far as I'm concerned, this is his signature performance, and has so many more layers. My rating for deep cover would be four and a half stars out of five. If, like me, you're a huge fan of early 90s crime dramas, along the lines of Menace to Society, Juice... American Me, or The King of New York, then I have little doubt that you will enjoy this film as it remains one of the strongest of that crop. It's also required viewing for all diehard fans of both Fishburne and Goldblum. No such thing as an American anymore. No Hispanics, no Japanese, no blacks, no whites, no nothing. It's just rich people and poor people. And if you're looking to watch Deep Cover, it's currently streaming on Tubi. And that ends another murky review. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.